Speaking of is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for supporting Milwaukee PBS. Home. You know, it's been less than a year since I moved to Milwaukee, spring of 2021. Caught up in that early pandemic shuffle, or so I thought. And when you've moved around as much as I have, Mexico City, D.C., Philadelphia, Miami Beach, Grand Rapids, Michigan, the idea that a single physical place is home, well, it kind of seems foreign. Of course, for some folks, it can only mean a specific place. To others, it's their family, or maybe their TV network. I guess I've been thinking about home as a connection people have specifically to Milwaukee. I'm Mariano Avila. You're listening to Speaking Of, a podcast by Milwaukee PBS. With me in the studio are my co-hosts, Alexandria Mack and Scotty Myers, for whom Milwaukee has always been home. Hey, guys. Hey, Mariano. Hey, hey. How you doing, Mariano? Good. Look, my writing process for these three episodes has been a little bit difficult because I'm talking about home in a place that I just don't know. So this episode is part personal essay, part journalistic feature, contouring the idea of a home through people with really different personal histories in Wisconsin. And if you two are game, you may have to get a little personal. <laughs> are you in? I mean, like, how personal are we? Not, do you want, Not too personal. Are you, like, looking for, like, my bank routing number or my skincare routine? Like, where Just are we going? Just your, like, childhood crushes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, more along those lines. I like that. So let's start with that personal part. You both were born and raised in this area. Oddly enough, you both left to study in California at different times, different places. Lexi, your husband is from there. But then you both came back. So what brought you back to Milwaukee? Well, for me, I was still really young. I went out to go to USC when I was straight out of undergrad from UW-Madison. So I was probably, what, like 22. And then after that, I did an internship in New York. At that point, I was then 23, and I was just like, what do I do with my life? I don't really know. And my husband, he was my boyfriend at the time. Honestly, I was like, you're the only thing I'm sure about. And he was. Oh, I know. That's I really sweet. Like, that's so I, sweet. Yeah, I felt like really cheesy. And like, I felt like for other people, they were like, um, why is this girl with all these achievements? Like, it's coming back to be with her college sweetheart. But it was. I was like, well, I don't want to be in New York eating bread and unhappy and living with four roommates and there are four cats. That's like a true story. I was literally living with three other people and four cats. I was looking for that stability and what better place to start adulting where I had like a foundation, not only in my boyfriend, but also having my family and like close friends somewhat around me. It definitely made that transition into adulthood way smoother. It, there's something about the, the earth I love the seasons and I love the park system and I love the people and I love even when this city breaks my heart, I still love it. I love that I know it. I know its streets and its history. And I think actually the first time the three of us met, we went to Cafe Hollander on the east side. We did. And we sat in a little igloo because it was kind of chilly out. And we kind of had this talk about like, Mariana, you asked us then, why do you love this city? And I think we went on for a very long time. For someone like me to come in and talk about home in this place in the middle of a pandemic, it's not easy. But hearing your perspectives, I think, is helpful. Of course, your moves both predate the pandemic, which is where my Milwaukee story starts. And there was a lot of information, some of it conflicting, about how many people were moving as a result of the shutdown. To get some clarity, I actually called Devera Cohn, who leads studies at the Pew Research Center in the D.C. area, and she talked to me about some of that internal migration. The last set of statistics that just come out show 
essentially the lowest rate and the lowest number of people who move from one place to another since the government began tracking this 70 years ago or so in the late 40s. Now, we're not completely surprised by this because people, many people were frozen in place during the pandemic. But there also was a lot of talk about people fleeing cities and running to places that might have more room and comfort that they could work from home. I remember reading a ton of articles about people moving in the beginning of the pandemic. But here's what the Pew found out from census data. The census numbers didn't show that. They also didn't show, by the way, a big influx into suburbs. I mean, in general, migration just went down all over. So the way the census tracks this data is that they ask you if you've moved within the past year. During the 1950s and the 60s, about one in three Americans said they had moved. During the 2020 census, less than one in 10, about 26.5 million, which is a little over 6%. Theories go from an aging population, because older folks just move less, to a lot of two-career households for whom it's harder to just pick up and move. But here's why that narrative of the moving masses was out there. We found that about a quarter of the people who moved due to the coronavirus say they're back where they started, in the same house. So some of these moves were clearly temporary to get out from a bad situation or, for example, come home from college, but then go back to college. So some of the migration that we saw early in the pandemic has since been reversed. And that brings us back to my move. Turns out I'm only part of a trend in that I'm still in a city. So why did I move here? Any guesses? Hmm. Why did Mariana move here? Well, I imagine it was the draw of some of the good things we do here at Milwaukee PBS. I'm hoping at least that it was a part of it. When I applied, Milwaukee PBS was the most locally watched station in the country. Specifically, though, I moved here because of our station manager, Bodan Zachary, and I know how that sounds. But frankly, it's legit why I came. He's got a hell of a career in TV, in commercial TV specifically, and also in Hollywood. But I think my interview with him makes my case. We talked at his office on the fourth floor of the MATC downtown campus with a lovely view of Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church. Take a listen. I grew up in Hemtramck, Michigan, which at that time was the melting pot for Polish and Ukrainian immigrants. My parents, who were born in Ukraine, were in Nazi slave labor camps and were rescued by the Americans at the end of World War II. And my mother and her family emigrated through Montreal. My father, who she had met in a high school in a displaced persons camp, emigrated to North America through New York City. And they got married and wound up in Detroit because there were cars being made left and right and the auto industry was at its prime. And nobody spoke English other than me. I had a few words from grade school, and it was because we discovered something called educational public television that we all sat around a TV and listened to the words and watched the images and learned about American culture and global culture and language through that medium. Quick interruption to my interview here. I knew Bodan came from an immigrant family like me, but I didn't know about the Nazi camp part. But okay, back to one of my favorite parts in this interview. I was forever reminded by mom, who's no longer with us, that one day she and dad came home from work and I was all excited and I was all of six or seven years old. And the night before we had watched a documentary about the Sistine Chapel. And I was so inspired and much to their horror 
that when I took them down into the basement, they freaked out because I had taken Dad's black shoe polish and painted all over the white block walls of the basement because I was wanting to do my own Sistine Chapel right there in Hemtramck. Your parents get home and they find your drawing. Was it good? Did it resemble the Sistine Chapel or did you take it and do your own interpretation? I was a kid with black shoe polish who thought he knew how to draw and paint. And, and I was not Keith Haring of Hemtramck, so it was, I think, a mess, and they painted over. However, my mother and father, despite really giving it to me for what I did, were so encouraged by seeing a spark in me that they sent me to art lessons. We all know Bodan as our boss, but can you picture him as a six-year-old painting the Sistine basement with shoe polish? <laughs> that was really incredible to listen to. So I've done a lot of stories with refugees here at Milwaukee PBS, and I have, I'm just looking in my phone right now and I'm looking for the video of refugees from the Congo and Eritrea and Syria. And so many of them have told me that they learned to speak English by watching kids programming on PBS stations. I really learned English when my family moved from Mexico City to Philadelphia with my smattering of grammar school English. Our plane landed at night, and on the way to our new home, I was struck by the sparkling high-rises downtown. So I pointed out the window and asked our driver, how you say big house like that, big house? And I was excited because, you know, I thought we might be moving into one of those big high-rises. That night I learned the word for building as an office building. But my dad was a broke PhD student, and we spent the next four years in a suburban duplex where I spent hours watching Mr. Rogers, reading Rainbow, and that... Is this why your cardigan collection's so good, too? <laughs> Isn't that early Mr. Rogers influence? Um, that's prep school, but yes, he definitely influenced. I, I like Mr. Rogers a lot. So that was a rabbit trail, but what I'm getting at is that there's an element of home in PBS for both Bodan and for myself, and it sounds like a lot of folks that we've all talked to, refugees in particular, and that's inspiring to me. So is his career, though. And I want to get back to it. He left Hamtramck. This is Bodan. He left Hamtramck and helped create the Live at Five format for NBC in New York City. It was the top show nationwide in the 5 p.m. slot, which was really contested at the time. But then he moved to Hollywood, and that's where it really gets interesting. Within the first week of being there, I had met an executive at Warner Brothers who said, you are the perfect person to run Cher's production company. And to which I said, what, me? I'm not a Hollywood producer. And she said, you are a journalist and Cher wants to continue in the tradition of Mask and Silkwood and she wants to do more real life stories. So he gets an interview, two months pass, he gives up and then he gets a call inviting him to Cher's mansion in Coldwater Canyon where he waits with Cher's sister and her secretary on a couch for over an hour because Cher's out shopping. Finally, she appears. And Cher and I had a wonderful hour-long conversation that was more about my upbringing in Hemtramck and who I was than it was about who I knew in Hollywood, because I knew nobody. At some point during the conversation, Cher said, you know, I have an ethnic background too. I am half Armenian, and my name is Sherilyn Sarkissian. At a certain point, she turned to me and she said, do you like lasagna? And I said, yeah, I like lasagna. She said, I made some kick-ass lasagna last night. Come on in the kitchen. And we went in her kitchen, and she heated up the lasagna she had cooked herself the night before and sat down with me, and we chatted some more about our families. And then she said, I have these offices at Warner Brothers in Burbank, 
do you want to start on Monday? And that became the start of my two-year life in the land of Cher and in Hollywood. So is there any project that you can point to you were like, oh yeah, I was part of that? The project that got away, as often happens in Hollywood, is not a true story, which is what I was hired to do, but Cher loved this idea. I woke up one morning, I called her secretary, and I said, I really, really, really need to talk to the boss. And Cher was notorious with calling you when she was ready for it. But Cher came to the phone and she said, okay, something's cooking because you really, really, really want to talk to me. And I said, here's my idea. You are Morticia Adams and Jack Nicholson plays your husband. And it's the Adams family. And Cher called Jack right after she and I hung up, called me back. She said, he's completely on board. And within a day, I was on a plane to New York City where I sat with Charles Adams' ex-wife, who was still his business partner, and they absolutely loved, loved the idea. And I imagined that was going to be the first movie that Cher and I produced. And then the deal fell apart because the studio couldn't make a deal over merchandising rights. Okay, so raise your hand if you've had lasagna with Cher or pitched a movie that Jack Nicholson loved. That is crazy. <laughs> that is a perfect role for her. So, okay, tell me about your brushes with celebrity briefly, (laughs) if you have some fun ones. I produced an interview show called The Kathleen Dunn Show, and our guest for the hour one time was Lynn Cheney, who is Dick Cheney's wife, the former vice president. And she had just written a book about a past president. So she was our guest for an hour, and people call into that show and, you know, get to ask her questions and engage with her. And there was a former classmate of hers who called in and said, Lynn, it's so great to hear your voice. You know, I'm still in Madison. I miss when we hung out when we were in our youth. Let's reconnect. After the show, I was tasked with reconnecting them. So Lynn Cheney gave me her home phone number for their house at Jackson Hole, Wyoming to pass along to this person. So currently in my phone, I have Dick Cheney's home phone number. The most famous person that I've met and had an actual conversation with was Issa Rae. What? what? From Insecure? Yes, from Insecure. Oh my God, like one of my heroes. Um, I was still an undergrad. I think I was about, I was either a junior or a senior, but she came for a Black History Month event. She was a keynote. And I was getting my book that she had written, Awkward Black Girl. I was getting it signed. And so as I, it was my turn, finally, she actually had on a sweatshirt that I had, too. And I was so mad that I didn't know she was wearing it because I was like, oh, we could have been twins. This would have been perfect. But <laughs> as soon as it was my turn, she looked up and she was like, oh, my gosh, like, you're so beautiful. I love your earrings. And I, I wow. immediately was just like taking it back. I was like, not Issa Rae giving me compliments. Oh. And she was so beautiful and I was so obsessed. I'm still obsessed with her work so I am always excited to share that story and the picture. Okay, so we've talked about who left home during COVID and who didn't and why I left my home and how PBS makes newcomers feel at home. So now I want to introduce you to my last interview, my last guest. My name is Ron Grieger Jr. I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I was born and raised here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm enrolled in Oneida tribal member up in the Green Bay area. I'm also a Bed River uh, tribal, uh, I'm not even a tribal role on there, you're gonna be enrolled in one or the other, but I'm also Bed River from um, my mom's side, which is Ojibwe. Ron told me that the main tribes in the area are Ojibwe, Potawatomi, Ho-Chunk, and Oneida. Each one has a different take on the name Milwaukee. To some it means a gathering by the water, to others it's the great place. But there's this shared narrative of being stewards of the land and the water and the caretakers of traditions. One of the issues I spent a lot of time reporting on in Michigan was the social erasure of Native people in indigenous culture in urban areas. 
Often folks in cities feel disconnected from their tribes and their roots. And Ron's own journey to try to hold on to those traditions and that faith involved him moving to Flambeau near Eagle River in northern Wisconsin. But what he found was not what he expected. When you're living on the res, you're living totally different than you are living on a Milwaukee area in a city. And I say that because it's, it's very different. They treat you differently. They talk to you differently. They act differently. They know that you're urban. You're not quite a real native, so to speak. They're living in the woods, the countryside. They're used to running around with their guns hanging out the window, shooting at deers for shining, which is legal for them to do. So it's a big difference. And, and it's, I've learned a lot. Among other things, Ron learned the importance of getting involved, something he still carries with him years later, especially since COVID, which he says really disrupted traditional community practices. So he started a volunteer group called Strong Native Minds that cares for elders and organizes ceremonies in prisons, helps educate children in traditional practices. I want to play a clip about one service in particular Strong Native Minds volunteers offer because it seems to me like it's a next-level commitment. We have what they call a firekeeper, and the firekeeper is basically the person that takes care of a fire. When a person passes away, that family does anywhere from one day to a seven-day fire. And that fire stays lit from the time they die to the time they cross over, and that's the end of that ceremony. So they do different ceremonies, they do different prayers, they do different things, and different tribes are different stuff. We, Strong Native Minds, will come in, we will attend that fire, make sure that fire is tended for until that fire is out. We will provide all the wood for that fire until that fire is done. And we will provide five gallons of soup each day of that fire until that fire is done. That is a very big thing for us here all throughout the native country. So there's a casino in the Manami River Valley, the Potawatomi Casino. And to get a membership there is called the Firekeepers Club, I believe. And so it's really interesting that that casino was probably filled with people of all different types of backgrounds and shades and colors. And they probably have no idea the roots behind that concept. So it's really moving to hear Ron talk about it there. It was interesting to me that he pointed out the difference between natives that live on reservations versus natives that grow up in cities, because that's probably why if if natives that grow up in cities are looked at differently. And I think you see that probably in a lot of different immigrant households where maybe like second or third generation, you may assume that a kid may speak Spanish or something. They're like, no, I actually don't speak Spanish. Like, I, I speak as much Spanish as you, <laughs> like, you know? Right. Unfortunately, we're almost out of time, so I want to bring this episode home by playing my last two questions with Ron. When you think of Milwaukee and when you think of this land, what do you think about? I think about cheese, I think about Green Bay Packers, I think about beer. What makes home home for you? Being home with your family, being able to see the old things you've seen when you were younger that are still around gathering with everyone and being able to be around everyone you know that's the comfort area so that wraps up my first episode here on speaking of lexi scotty before i key up our next episode can you tell me what makes home home for you home is milwaukee first and foremost milwaukee is seasons and it's grittiness and it's just this you always a sense of up and coming sort of a chip on its shoulder really proud 
We're diverse. We're next to this big body of water, Lake Michigan. And I think that affects us, that lake effect. I think there's a political history here and our ties to socialism and our socialist mayors. There's and just like a sense of family, be it with like your given family, but also like your chosen family. I think home for me is not tied to necessarily a place. Home is my mom's soul food. It's my dog scratching at my legs when I walk in my mom's house. It's my sister still taking the time to kiss my face, even though I'm 27 years old. And she's only two years older than me, but she just hugs and kisses me like I'm her child. Home is my husband calling me chicken when I get home from work. <laughs> um, we are getting personal, like you yeah. said us in the beginning. To yeah. be fair, he loves chicken, right? Yes, and he loves me, so that's how the nickname <laughs> was formed. I'm trying to think. It's hearing my dad say, like, what up, cut up, when I walk into his house, or Lex Bex when I'm at my grandma's house, or Superstar um, from my now late grandfather. So I think for me, home has always been the people. It's always been my family. And they were such a large part of the reason why I came back. And when you ask me why I'm here, it's they're literally it. It's those memories that make it hard for me to go anywhere else. I agree. Are you taking a stab at this? I'm still grappling with that, actually, not just because I'm an immigrant or because I just moved here, but because the pandemic has really forced me, like everybody else, inward. And the distancing and the isolation forced us to look at home in entirely new ways. Next episode, I want to talk about different forms of being at home and feeling at home. So we're going to go inward with mm. the next episode. And that's all I'll say about that. Going inward, okay. <laughs> Boy, okay. I better ready myself. Right. A little Compared therapy to, session. Right, sure. I'm not You're a therapist, feelings. so it won't be too bad. But you know, if we want to get personal, we can. I'm Mariano Avila, and you're listening to Speaking Of, a podcast by Milwaukee PBS. My co-hosts are Alexandria Mack and Scotty Myers. Grant Martin did all of our sound design and engineering, and Chris Hayes helped me edit this story. Thanks to all of the folks who agreed to be part of my interviews. And again, thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. 